Hey, deserving listeners, this episode, we are starting over with a brand new Dungeons and Dragons campaign. If you're new to the podcast, we have been doing Dungeons and Dragons episodes occasionally. We did 15 different episodes on demonstrating Dungeons and Dragons and how to use it in therapy. And we did a whole storyline. If you're familiar with Dungeons and Dragons, we did a whole campaign and we wrapped it up and then we talked later and said, well, what do we want to do next? Well, we, we said, well, let's just start over with brand new characters and a brand new storyline. And so that's what we're going to demonstrate today. This is the Psychology in Seattle podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kirk Honda. I'm a therapist and a professor. Who are you, Umberto? My name is Umberto Castaneda, and I don't know who I will play yet. I mean, I do know, but it's a mystery right now. My name is Adam Davis. I'm one of the executive directors of game to grow and I'm playing Gerkes. My name is Adam Johns. I am the other executive director of game to grow and I am continuing to be and always will be your friendly neighborhood game master. So again, if you're new to the podcast and new to these sorts of episodes, this episode is going to be a lot different than other episodes. We are going to be playing Dungeons and Dragons in this episode. If you're interested in that sort of thing, stick around. If you're not, I might skip it. <laughs> no offense taken. Uh, it's, 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 we're not going to be talking about psychology, really, and so just know all that stuff. Um, in this episode, this you could call it Session Zero, in which we begin with all the beginnings that need to be begun in order to begin a campaign together. And in this episode, we're going to, uh, Johns is going to demonstrate how he might develop a campaign with the people that he works with. Uh, Adam Johns and Adam Davis work with people that are looking to develop social skills and self esteem. And so I'm guessing, Johns, tell me if I'm right or wrong, that you, you do this sort of session zero prep for campaign work with your participants? Uh, we do, um, although uh, this is actually a great opportunity because normally, especially when we have brand new players who've never played before, we wouldn't do this level of, of prep and really character work and world building in the first session. Usually the first session is we want to get people playing the game as fast as possible, jumping right in, having a great time, and not getting too bogged down into like the rules of character creation or or this this sort of ephemeral uh, uh, up in the air world creation stuff. Um, this is actually something that we would do with a with a group of players who we'd already played a quarter with or a couple of quarters with, where now they know how the game works, they know the excitement of the game, and now we can dig deep into into creating some some stuff all together in a collaborative way, and they know why that. That's important, and they know how that's exciting. If you want to know more information about how to use Dungeons and & Dragons and Minecraft and other kinds of games in therapy, in individual therapy, group therapy, in the classroom, then go to gametogrow.org, and you can learn more. You can buy products. You can get training. You can learn stuff on the website. And go to gametogrow.org. Any other plugs, Davis? I would make sure that if you want to know the latest about our training program, go to gametogrow.org slash newsletter and sign up for our newsletter because we have regularly updated offerings. Um, we have uh, webinars showing up um, every week at this point. So if you want to learn more about that, go to gametogrow.org slash webinar. But the best way to stay on the cutting edge of therapeutic gaming is go to gametogrow.org slash newsletter and sign up for that newsletter. So for those who don't really understand Dungeons & Dragons, uh, I want to just give a brief explanation. And it's, it's a game like no other. 
if you've never played an actual pen and paper role-playing game, you probably have a hard time comprehending what it is. And we'll demonstrate it. You'll see what it actually is. But in this episode, we're going to demonstrate how do you build the imaginary world. Think about when George Lucas sat down to write Star Wars for the first time. He said, well, in this world, you got Wookiees, and you've got an empire, and you've got these rebels, and you have X-Wing fighters, and you have TIE fighters, and you have this Princess Leia, and you have the plans, and you have droids. And that was just all invented in his head. He could have said anything at that point. And then he set off to, to write a story with those characters interacting. Well, that's what we're doing here. We're going to build the world. We're going to build the characters. We're going to build the relationships. It's all collaborative. And it's like writing a novel with four people uh, writing the, the script. And it's also based on improv. You'll see that once we launch into the story that Adam Johns – Adam Johns is like the George Lucas. And we are Princess Leia, Luke, and Han. And we get to actually kind of write the story as well depending on – how we think our characters would react. Adam Johns does everyone else in the world. He does the weather. He does the sun. He does the gods. He does the, the, the bar owner and the random people that we interact with. Uh, me and uh, Berto and Adam Davis, we actually only control our one character. And that's how Dungeons & Dragons is, uh, is managed. And, and occasionally there's a fight or something, and you roll dice to determine if you succeed or if you lose. So Adam Johns, launch us into session zero of this new campaign. I couldn't be more excited. Awesome. My very first uh, thing that I want from, from all of you as, as players in our session zero campaign here is, as always, I'm going to ask a checking question. Uh, this checking question is actually not going to be a checking question for your character as well, because we're going to basically spend the biggest portion of today just learning stuff about your characters. Um, so this is really a qu checking question for you as a player at the table um, and a chance to reflect on the fact that you are many things when you walk up to a Dungeons & Dragons table. You are uh, the character you play. You are the player at the table who's playing a game. And you are a person at the table who has wants and needs, like I need a snack or a drink of water. Uh, and all those things are things that, that you bring to the table. All, all at once. Uh, and this question is really for you as a player, which is, what is your goal as a player? So there's a chance to think about maybe your goal is, I just want to have a fun time. I want to crack some jokes and laugh. Uh, but your goal might also be, I really want to work on my accents and, and work on my voice acting. Or it might be, uh, I want to make a character that has a uh, like a really deep, enriching backstory and and a chance to like really role play in that character. Um, or it could be I want to learn more about the rules of Dungeons and Dragons and I want to know like how to really maximize the the damage potential of the character that I'm playing. Any of those things, great answers, great opportunities. But this is a chance for you to reflect in the in our game that we're playing over the this longer campaign that we're starting. What is your goal as a player? I'll say my goal is to, this might sound. I don't know, sort of trite, but is to have fun, but to more specifically how we build a story together and those critical moments where there are decisions to be made between A or B or C, where you have to choose between uh, rushing into combat to save the day or save this person over here or run – I don't know. I'm not describing it very well. But it's essentially the the fun I get from being in a story, you know, actually being Luke Skywalker. <laughs> uh, 
uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi has just been struck down. What do I do? How do I feel about that? You know, what's my next move on that? What what does that mean? How do I deal with that? What what how do I avenge his death? You know, what's the plan? That's tremendously fun to me. So I'm basically saying my goal is to play Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> uh, if if I may, it actually kind of sounds like your goal is to have adventure. Yeah. Um, because there's lots of parts of Dungeons and Dragons where people are like, I just want to go shopping. I want to I want to spend some money in town and buy buy some <laughs> stuff. Uh, but but all the stuff you described is really about adventure. It's about those critical moments of decision making uh, in character and and about your character and through the adventure itself. But like yeah. to to have to go through an amazing story is, right. is sort of your goal. There. Yeah, yeah, absolutely awesome. Um, so for me, my goal is to uh, not play it safe this time. What I mean by that is, when I, whenever I've played uh, both D&D, but also any role-playing game pretty much on the computer uh, or on video games and stuff, whenever I have to create characters, what I usually do, so the fantasy I tell myself is, all right, right, for this first run-through, I'm going to create a basic barbarian-type character. So whatever it is, Diablo, or pick your, pick your thing, I'm like... I try to pick, like, okay, just something that's going to work well with, a, like, an axe. Like, forget even, like, sword and a shield. I just want, like, an axe. Like, a big two-handed axe. And I'm going to maximize my strength. I'm going to be stupid. Great. Because uh, I find it a lot simpler. But then the thing is, I never end up getting around to the second playthrough where I was, like, promising myself I would have done the more complex wizardy type char- characters. Granted, I did play... Diablo a few times, and I did end up playing a few of the classes. But that's usually what happens to me. So with our last campaign, I you know I did a similar thing. It was pretty much a, a dumb brute with lots of strength and stuff, uh, and it was totally fun. And there's something freeing about that for the role playing side of things. But this time, I want to challenge myself. I want to have to learn a little bit more about all the little rules and have to be thinking, oh, what spell should I use and all these things. Uh, and also from the role playing side of things. Uh, he's not going to be, this character's not going to be just like saying dumb things all the time. They, they're going to have their own little personality quirks and stuff, but it's going to be from a different angle. So, yeah, so I'm looking forward to that. Awesome. Yeah, I'm and definitely, I, uh, I'm looking, sorry, I'm looking forward to see Birdo play because di- I can't imagine you anything other than Grolo. You and Grolo <laughs> are one person. Yeah. So I'm having, <laughs> a, I'm having a, I, I, I have this suspicion that this character is going to, incur some kind of brain injury and, and slip into growth be, because you just can't help making the character into your alter ego of, of the dumb nice. brute. Sorry, Davis. I'm, I'm, that's all right. I'm definitely a story-driven player. Like, I, I, I like the mechanics of the game just fine, but I really, what, I, what, I, what motivates me as a player is the stories, and specifically the stories of, of ensemble and fellowship. And I thought our last campaign had a really nice mixture of those. Um, and so my goal for this campaign is to try to try to meet some of that same sort of uh, ensemble story. It was it really was a story of fellowship in, in our three um, players. Um, my goal is also for my character to be um, contribute to the story in a meaningful way. Um, there was a, a moment when I was tweeting before our final episode, and I won't tell anyone what happens in case they haven't caught up yet. But I was tweeting before our final episode. And there was a fan who tweeted, oh, my gosh, I hope Shush survives. Um, and I, I like that. <laughs> I, I, hope, I hope people care about my character. Aww. <laughs> um, awesome. Uh, I guess I'll, I'll also 
throw in a goal. My goal with this campaign is uh, I, I want to uh, play around with some opportunities to uh, deepen your characters and your interaction a lot more. Um, this is a great opportunity for me as a game game master to help lead you into um, even even greater depths of role play and even greater depths of of story that we can make together. Um, and so my goal as a game master for this game is to uh, explore some of that and take us down down a little deeper into the rabbit hole of of um, getting getting into character and and being in character. Um, and so I'm I'm hoping to dive deep into that. Whatever that means. So, are you saying that this uh, this campaign is going to be deeper and longer? Uh, sorry, so, uh, phrasing. <laughs> sorry, but, <laughs> but so, somewhat uncut too. <laughs> Bigger, longer, and uncut. Um, no, uh, not necessarily longer. I don't know yet, uh, but I do uh, hope to give you an opportunity to um, even further deepen your your characters. Uh, the interesting thing about making a character is that. Uh, characters have such a wide range in in what a deep character looks like as opposed to a shallow character. Um, and there are many, many things that you do that make up the, the character that you create. Um, and deepening your character doesn't mean necessarily making a character that's different from yourself uh, or similar to yourself or any of those things. Those are all choices that you make as as the character of what it is. Um, what it means instead is is how closely you understand who your character is. Um, and how well you can use that then to dictate the choices that your character makes. Um, and as a game master, it gives more and more opportunity for me to then put you in situations where you have to make hard choices. And ideally, um, the harder the choice, the more in character you can be in the moment uh, to make that choice. But it requires players that are that are ready to be in character that way, that are ready to make those hard choices. Um, because if I, you know, turn to uh, Umberto's Diablo character and said, uh, well, your character might lose a pinky if they take this really powerful magic weapon, uh, he'd probably be like, yeah, but it's like a really powerful magic weapon, and pinky doesn't do anything in the game. <laughs> uh, so I doubt he would, like, <laughs> even really hesitate at that choice. That was my um, special pinky, man. I'm not going to give that up. <laughs> it's it's very precious to you, um, but in this case, I want I want that to be uh, as closely similar as you yourself having to make that choice for you as it would be for your character, um, in all the ways that that is still healthy and not destructive, obviously. Um, so that being said, uh, now that we have some goals of player, I'm going to just really quick summarize what we're doing with this new campaign. So if you've listened to all of the old uh, the previous campaign, uh, you saw that we were in this fantasy world and we were uh, going through this amazing adventure. This new campaign is going to take place in that same fantasy world, but some period of time after the events of the previous campaign and with brand new characters. So uh, before I have everybody introduce their brand new characters, um, what I... Um, want to establish is how far away is this from the previous campaign? Um, I know this is after the previous campaign at some point in time, and it's in a different kingdom. It's going to be in a kingdom to the east of where our previous campaign took place, and we're going to create some of that world uh, here in, the, in today's session. But what I want to know is uh, how long has it been since the events of Pahija, uh and everything that happened there? Has it been uh, one year? Has it been... Uh, two, five years? Has it been a hundred years? Uh, what kind of campaign do you as players feel like you want to play? I 
only there was these like polyhedrons we could use to randomly decide how long it's been. <laughs> you could you could also leave it to the fate of the dice. <laughs> Three years level, apparently. Um, how so? I don't know. I, I feel like I feel like I would love for it to be something that still had unanswered questions about it. I would love for there to still be a little bit of, of mystery around the 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 events of Pahiha. Yeah, I think it would be interesting to have the option of some overlap between NPCs and NPCs. Like the legend of certain things has trickled through well, the last few years. And my my character is I'm using a I often use characters from a world that I built as a DM and the in my world of obviously it's not this world uh my character is a contemporary of of Thrain but they but Thrain lives a long time <laughs> and mm-hmm. and so does so does my character um so that gives a lot of options in terms of if we kept that but i i, I it would be satisfying to me even if it's just in my head that my character knows Thrain you know what i mean i have a su- i have a That's suggestion okay with me because the epilogue uh, that we did was like a year later. And so one thought is that if this was like a year later, what that would get, leave us an opening for is after this one is done, uh, something else could happen where it revisits the other characters or something like that. But it like builds on itself rather than if this was like, you know, 50 years later, 100 years later. It's like, yeah, okay. yeah, I'd be up for that. So are we thinking? Uh, so we want it close by. Then do we want it just like literally picking up right after the the epilogue? I was like, suggest, this is just I was a year suggesting, later, but, yeah, you know, one year later, like in parallel. Like you know, these characters obviously right now don't know what's up, but mm-hmm. um, yeah. Well, they might. I mean, they might have heard about it. You know. No. Yeah. Right. Meaning, I don't. Well, and they could be in contact. I was imagining that they right this second they're not in contact with each other, but. As with as the, a story, just just me brainstorming, just because mm-hmm. this is in my world. Of course, it could be mm-hmm. one of a hundred brainstorms. Is in my epilogue, Thrain stayed in Pihiha and helped build, rebuild the Moradin temples, and help rebuild the society really, and based on Moradin as a stronger, even stronger force in town, and wanted to be close with his friends and you know his people that he had met. And then, but Thrain eventually wants to go back home and to his temple, which is in Feather Falls, which is the town that he's from, which is where my character, my new character, is also from. So you could have some kind of storyline that just kind of bumps up against maybe even the beginning of the story could could be that transi- somehow transitioning. Maybe all three of our characters from the last campaign come to Thrain's hometown just to kind of visit or something. Mm-hmm. And then that starts the next chapter with, or the next book with three other characters or something. I'm just throwing I, it I, out there. I, I, mm-hmm. I do think that um, Grolo right now is in one of those uh, Rambo is retired things, but he might have to get called out of retirement by Colonel such and such at some point. <laughs> So I think he's like doing the daddy duties right now. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, 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 Cruddy could come along too. I'm oh, d- sure. I'm d- yeah. <laughs> it could have been like a he convinced her on a weekend retreat. <laughs> yeah. Or Thrain just went back by himself to sure, sure, sure. <laughs> check in with his old master, his old you know the head temple in Feather Falls. So he might have gone back to 
you know, just visit and see what's up. I so do, I, I do want to have a moment where my new character and Grolo do a, a very bromantic uh, handshake, and then I get to say, CIA got you pushing too many pencils. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, this is just going to be a Predator reference, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> uh, wait, uh, I forget what your character, your character is a, uh, a monk, right? He's going to be a, yeah. Yeah, let's let's actually use that as a, as a segue to to get into <laughs> describing your new character. So let's say um, I'm going to say it's been uh, three years after the after the initial event that that uh, I guess three years after the initial event of Pahia. So we're gonna we're gonna pick it up three years after the initial events of Pahia. So this this will include the the epilogue from the previous campaign of one year, and then a little bit of extra to also account for some uh, unknown time of whatever happened to your previous characters, uh, but still close enough to, for you to for for there to maybe be some crossover, and and those those characters from that campaign may play a role in some way, one way or another, in our new campaign as well. Um, that being said. Let's segue into into introducing each of your characters. Um, who would like to tell us their character's name and a little bit about them? I'll I can go. go. Go, Berto. All right. So, uh, my name is Ulian, uh, or Ulian. Um, I am what is called a Vedalkin. I'm a Vedalkin male. Vedalkin are these uh, tall, slender blue people that are uh, descend. They, they basically used to be very, very aquatic creatures uh, and are now very human looking uh, but they, they're still they have this blue skin and they can breathe underwater for a, for a bit um, they are in this case they're very, very interested in knowledge and so my character is a, a geek, he seeks knowledge with all his passion he was originally from this place called Ravnica. He is 60 years old, but uh, these creatures live till 350 or 500 years. So it's, it's you know, he's fully mature adult, but he's got a ways to go, you know, life-wise. Um, he has been a researcher and a teacher most of his life. So he actually hasn't done much adventuring. He used to do adventuring when he was younger, but uh, he then kind of like really got into hitting the books uh, and then 20 years ago, he came across a very old, very odd and old passage in a tome that was regarding some ancient guild artifact. These uh, creatures are members of guilds, and they're very, like, it's a big deal in their, in their community. But there's this artifact that could bring unimaginable knowledge about the mysteries of the multiverse to the wielder. And Ulian has been on a search since then for clues about where and how he could find such an artifact. Uh, but, you know, he mostly spent years just, like, reading about it and not really having the courage to go out and really search for answers. But recently, he had a near-death experience, and that compelled him to go into seeking adventure and not wasting his life. Awesome. That is, that is great. That's an awesome uh, uh, starting backstory uh, uh, for a couple, Ulian. Yeah, and a, a couple yeah. little things. He... Um, his expression is usually like his resting face is a sly grin, so it always kind of looks like he's grinning at stuff, but that's just kind of like his you know you could see it in his picture in my character. I use Telly Savalas, but um, 
He walks in the smooth gait, and so he barely bobs up and down. So it almost looks as if he's gliding along. Um, and he uses his hands excessively, almost excessively, while he's talking. Uh, and in fact, he also has this little tick with his right hand where he like, it almost looks as if he was clearing hair from his face, but he's bald. So, uh, but he just kind of like do this and every now and then he does this. That's so anyone that's yeah. spent time around him notices like, man, got to keep, keep an eye out for his hands. <laughs> that, that'll be good for an audio podcast. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, he might, he might accidentally bump into people and hit people in the face on purpose. <laughs> fulfills an important role in the group of, uh, of Ulian slapping somebody as he's trying to uh, emote and talk. <laughs> yes. I like it. Davis. My character's name is Gerkas, and he is a dragonborn monk. Uh, as a dragonborn, it means he's sort of a bipedal lizard creature um, who is gold in color. My dragon scales are gold, and that, because it ties to my dragon lineage... I have a little bit of a sense of superiority around my 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 dragon origins. I feel a little bit like I'm kind of connected to some cool stuff. Um, I can also breathe fire, which is kind of cool, um, kind of impressive. I also have um, the ability, um, and I'm not. I haven't actually built a full backstory for this yet, so I'm hoping to do some of that today and some of that as the as the game goes on to sort of continue to build this collaboratively with y'all. Um, I have the ability to uh, shoot. I, I picture it sort of like laser beams out of my hands. Um, it's really a, a, a spell ability that I have because of some, some stuff. But I also think it's cool that I can cast laser beams out of my hands. Um, That's awesome. For clarity, Adam's character is a monk in, in the game. Uh, and uh, so he also is is uh, very strong and very dexterous, um, and he's very uh, physically capable. Nice. It is a radiant sunbolt, not an actual laser beam, but I, I'm sort of going with an X-Men vibe here, um, sort of a Magneto uh, superiority vibe with uh, a little bit of that. Seems kind of a, a fun angle to play, very different than Shush, who was always worried about whether he fit in. I think Gerkes is going to be a little bit of the opposite and kind of a, I wonder where everybody else fits in. <laughs> Interesting. I like it. Uh, my character is his name is Blazonar Dardragon, but he goes by Uncle Whoa. Blaze, Uncle <laughs> Blaze, and he's a older Hobbit or Lightfoot halfling, and he is a owner of a business in a s- small town called Feather Feather Featherton Falls or Feather Falls Feather Falls, and it his business. He's in exports and imports. So people coming through the town have to get down this this um, uh, this trail, this switchback trail, and they can't use their regular carts and whatnot. So he is in charge of this business that employs a lot of dwarves, actually, to haul all this stuff up and down. He has a, a giant warehouse where he deals and trades, and he has uh, 11 siblings— and he doesn't have any children himself, but he has many, many uh, nephews and nieces and many, many grandnephews and grandnieces. It's a, he's 101, and he's lived a long time, as, as hobbits do. And he also deals in the black market quite a bit. 
and consider him like a a mobster, like uh, Don Corleone kind of a thing, where people come to him, particularly in the halfling community, but also humans and dwarves and others will reach out to him occasionally. And he doesn't consider himself like super important, but he does value money security for his family. He values loyalty. He does not appreciate the law, and but he understands them and can pay them off at times. And in his younger years, he definitely used to do a lot of pilfering and thieving and that kind of thing. He doesn't he doesn't want to kill anyone that doesn't deserve a shank, but he isn't opposed to it as well. But I guess in in terms of trying to match up with Berto's storyline a little bit as he was talking, I was like, well, how can Blazonar's goals in life kind of match up with that? I suppose like looking for an artifact of some kind or looking for a giant vat of gold somewhere, like a a treasure trove of valuable uh, in, you know, items that one could sell and make a lot of money for his for his family would be very motivating to him. So is he a bit um, of a fam- is he a bit of a family man like in like the like you're saying like the mob boss like but yeah. my family comes first. So people refer to him as Uncle Blaze because he is the head of the family nice. in that region. <laughs> And, um, you know, and he has ties, he has offshoots of the family in various, you know, communities around that town. And he's in control of the whole thing. But in terms of game motivation, um, he's, you know, I guess we'll work that out as to why he would leave his town. (laughs) Yeah, uh, that's that's actually a great a great starting point. So we're going to we're going to dive into that piece Uh, before we do. Uh, let's establish a little of the the portion of the world that we are in. Uh, so this campaign is going to largely take place in a kingdom to the east. Um, whether or not we start there, as Kirk, Kirk you mentioned, maybe we'll we'll end up starting in in this other area. Featherfall is the the um, uh, place where your character, where, where Uncle Blaze is from, that could be from this kingdom or could be another place, and then we travel into the kingdom, that's fine. But I want to flush out a little of what this kingdom to the east looks like, and then we'll hop back over to your characters and do a little bit more backstory generation for your characters and how they fit into that world, because there may be an opportunity as we're creating this kingdom for you to go like, oh, that's the perfect place for my character to have br- been been brought up, or that perfectly ties into to a reason why my character might be there. Um, so my first question for you is this this whole kingdom to the east um, is there's a big mountain range that basically separates the two kingdoms and makes it pretty hard to have uh, really steady trade between the two kingdoms. There's paths that that allow for some trade, but this kingdom to the east is largely um, uh, independent from the kingdom that that uh, Pahiha is in. Um, what is this kingdom called? We need to come up with a name for this kingdom. Letters? Are we doing the letters? Yeah, let's do letters. Uh, hey, Adam, what's the first letter of the name of this kingdom? R. Uh, Kirk, what's the second letter? H. E. And I'm going to say T. Oh, uh, I said E. Yes, yeah, yeah, oh, I'm, I'm adding a letter, yeah. yeah. Uh, Adam, we've got R-H-E-T. K. Uh, Kirk. R. Uh, Berto. A. 
Um, I'm going to say H. Uh, that gives us the kingdom of Retkra. 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 Oh, I remember. And Retkra. I think it's two words. Retkra. Um, so the kingdom of Retkra has some type of ruling body. Think of this like a country. Um, this is a whole other country. There is landmass that connect this country to the previous country you were in, but it is a different country with different customs and different uh, a culture maybe, but also certainly a different ruling body that's a, a part of it. Uh, that ruling body could be a king, uh, could be a president, could be a whole council of people, it could be uh, an anarcho-syndicist commune who take it in turns to act as a sort of executive officer of the week. Uh, whatever the case may be uh, that you want to decide is, is up to you guys to, to determine the sort of government system that this, this other country has. An executive council. Okay. Like a Senate. Of wizards. Ooh, and they have a trade dispute, and they have to have all these, like, Senate <laughs> dispute arguments. <laughs> and blockades and long and conversations. Uh, but seriously, I, I, I like the, I, I don't know if it's of interest to you guys, but uh, a Senate of wizards. Um, awesome. I think a Senate of wizards is, is an awesome idea. Maybe a lot of disputes that are happening within this land. Um, one of the things that's always a really good idea when we're crafting these campaigns, giving you a little bit of an idea from, from behind the scenes, um, I'm doing a, a couple of different things as a game master. The first one is, uh, for every idea that you put in, I'm coming up with ways in which I can use that to create turmoil in our, in our world, in our game. So as we're creating the kingdom or the, the, country of Retkra um, and talking about it being a senate of wizards, I want to think about, like, what are the problems this this world, this kingdom has? Um, because without problems, we don't really have much of a story. Um, and the same thing is actually true as you describe the backstories of your characters. Um, I'm, thinking, I'm thinking of and looking for two different things. I obviously want to pick out uh, the really important pieces of your character's backstory so I can incorporate them into to campaigns in a larger way. But I'm also really looking at um, opportunities that I have to um, use what sometimes in Dungeons & Dragons is referred to as a knife. And knives are things that the players give to the game master, whether they do it knowingly or unknowingly, that the game master can use to stab them in the back later on. Um, so these are emotional moments. They're emotional ties. Uh, for instance, Kirk's given me this great backstory about his character uh, being the leader of the, the, this family. Uh, but he's going to go off on an adventure. And we'll figure out what the motivation is that's pulling him off on an adventure. But now I have a billion knives of everybody in the family that could totally wind up under distress, that could have problems, <laughs> that may force Kirk to have to make really hard choices about what is most important to him in the world and and what he has to choose to give up or choose to to pursue uh, in order to to make those those uh, judgment calls. Um, and the same thing's true for for Berti. You created all these all these great ideas for your your character and their pursuit of knowledge. And there's a great opportunity. There's a knife in there that is around the idea of like is knowledge more important than say the friends you've made along the way. Um, and that's a little cliche, but it also those cliches work really well for a reason. So I'm looking for all of those as you're giving me all those pieces of backstory. And the same thing is true as the as we're creating the world. I want to look for opportunities for humor, opportunities for distress, for uh, for turmoil, all of those things in the the kind of world that we're creating. So that being said, we know that we have a senate of wizards. Um, the next thing I need to know about this uh, place is. Um, I need, I need a um, culture of this place. Um, so in order to come up with a culture, we are um, 
we're going to do the same holidays thing that we did at the very beginning of our previous campaign, which is that we're going to come up with a holiday that is celebrated in the kingdom of Retkra um, that helps give us a little bit of an idea of what kind of culture they have. Um, so, uh, Adam, what is this holiday celebrating? All holidays celebrate a history of something. What is this celebrating? Something that uh, this, happened in history. This holiday celebrates the advent of uh, the sort of like the industrial revolution. It's like this this um, landmark of productivity where it was. It's the actually the birthday of of like this world's Henry Ford. It's like someone who turned uh, Retcra into the economic powerhouse that it has become. So this this is this this um economic leader's birthday. Awesome. I love it. Um and and I'm assuming we'll go with a with a similar, sort of similar maybe a little bit technological uh um concept to go along with that. Uh and they created what do you guys think? Oh, should we do airships? Ooh, yeah. And give the kingdom of Retcra a lot of airships. This Love is it. like a, a common trade within the kingdom. Maybe what something that happened to airships, man. We One keep very, very closely, closely held secrets of, of the kingdom of Retcra. Yes. Um, perfect. Uh, so he is the revolutionary that created airships. Uh, we need a name for him. Uh, does anybody have a name in mind, or should we do the one letter at a time thing? Or hmm. this is the inventor of airships? Yeah. Oh, okay. I'm thinking a French name, like like I don't know how to spell it though. Is that a full name or is that a first name or last name? It's Legion. I think it's his last name. It's just his last name. Legion. Everyone calls him Legion. He can be Francois Legion. Well, it's funny you asked that question. No one knows what happens to him. What happened to him? It's like a Elvis kind of thing. Well, um, it's actually worse than Elvis because Elvis, <laughs> like people say, well, he died in a bathroom. Like no one knows what happened. I think the, one the minute mystery he was there, is, did he float the, off in one of his airships? I think he sailed off, and it, it's sort of like Amelia Earhart or something. Um, so I think um, we will uh, do this a little like. Um, is it Japan that has uh, like state-sponsored scientists? Um, I can't remember. There's, there's some countries that have state-sponsored scientists where they're they're basically given all of the resources of the the country uh, in order to to work on stuff. But in exchange for that, they never really get to be like famous. Uh, they, they can't sell their ideas. All their ideas are owned by the country itself. So I think uh, Rhett Kra, um, uh to brought had this guy. He was a state state-sponsored scientist or a, a country-sponsored uh, inventor. And he created the, the airships and then escaped, um, oh, maybe with the intent of selling airship. them. Yeah, he, he made an airship, basically, to, to, <laughs> like to, to fly away. <laughs> and he, he left his plans, he left his, his stuff there, so they ended up still being oh, able to create wow. the airships. But, but uh, there's still, like, this holiday. Um, so it's a, sort of an anti-government holiday, I think. Yeah, it's uh, like a, a little Guy bit. Fox kind of. Uh, yeah. It is a little um, bit Guy Fox, unless the government sort of co-opted his story and is like has made him into some like oh you know like a sure. CIA double thing where yeah they want you yeah. to have something to hate because okay I like it. Well, <laughs> yeah. we don't know. We don't know what we don't know. We don't no know one, yet. no one really knows yeah. the whole story of of Francois Legion. Francois Legion. I love it. 
Uh, awesome. Uh, in this holiday, uh, just to give it a little bit more of that flavor, uh, what is a, um, a common ritual, a common tradition that, that a lot of people do, Kirk? Uh, what, what do people add to their holiday experience? They make those little lanterns that float up into the air. <laughs> makes a lot of sense. It's an airship yeah. holiday. Yeah. Um, everybody makes floating lanterns. That's, that sounds perfect. Um, well, like, is there like, like a specific day they all release them all at once, like on sunset it, on a specific day? On his day birthday, yeah. Yeah. And, and like there's sub-competitions, right? Because like people try to make bigger and more elaborate lan- lanterns and sometimes there's accidents that happen. So they've had to pass some regulations. And- <laughs> it's getting, some lanterns are getting nearly as large as, as some of the smaller airships. And at that point, you just got to kind of, you got to regulate there's, something there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and the last thing is, um, of course, because I'm such a big fan of food, uh, there is a specific kind of food uh, that they eat. Around this holiday, it's kind of considered to be related to the to the birthday of of Le Guignon. Uh Berto, what's that? What what kind of food is that? Right. Well, actually, it's funny because you're right. Everyone does eat it. It's like super popular, unless you happen to be allergic or something. Um, but no one knows why. Like this isn't an obvious like. Well, it's little dumpling shaped like airship. No, no, no. This is a grain. It's a grain that's part- specific to that region. Uh, they they call it um, they call it like palt palt uh, like malt but it's palt and, and maybe it's p a w a l t I don't know palt and it is a grain it's like the size of a pharaoh almost but um, but it's almost sweet and so they make it into these porridges and they add all sorts of little fixins in and stuff like that uh, but they only have it. During like this time of the year, it's not only on this day, but like this is the season where they have it. And of course, on that day, they make special versions of it, and they they do decorate like they make these huge pots of it, and they do do decorations on it with like shapes of airships and things like that. But no one knows why Palt was chosen as like the special meal. Maybe it's because it's a regional thing. No one knows. It's just like the thing you eat. Um, this actually reminds me quite a bit of uh, gefilte fish. Um, I'm Jewish, and my my family celebrates Passover. And uh-huh. gefilte fish is it's really like it's just mashed up fish, kind of molded into a <laughs> to a, a, a shape. Um, and uh, I love gefilte fish because I grew up eating it, but it is a very strange food. Um, and there's also no particular reason why gefilte fish is like a seasonal thing. It really, for to my knowledge, has no reason why it couldn't be all year round. But it's not. It's always. It's always right in that time of, of Passover. That's really when you eat it, and you don't wow. really eat it any other time of year. Uh, so I, I like I like that idea a lot. So uh, uh, palt, palt, palt. I like that. I think it has um, something to do with the fact that this green is grown on the mountainside, and this the, if if the mountains are to the west of of uh, Red Kra, then I imagine the sun sets in the west, and that's when every lot lets up their, you know, their lanterns, their floating. Lanterns is when the sun goes yeah. down. So there's some some sort of fascination with with the west, the, the impassable mountains, and the the airships actually let people pass the mountains much easier. So it's probably this like concept of of that might have been expansion. where it originated. You're right. Yeah. Uh, I also kind of like the idea that maybe they're whether this is conspiracy theory or not. Uh, some people think that they build this grain and it's not terribly valuable. 
otherwise and the government co-opted who co-opted this this whole holiday also used it as an excuse to basically get rid of all the stores of these of these grains Man, that this they government. can't get rid of yeah. so Paul, it's not very it's not very nutritious or delicious you, you yeah. can see the um the uh you know the propaganda posters you know pelt it's it's what's for for celebrating right <laughs> and like you know do your part do your pelt <laughs> right be 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 a state wizard, just like your hero, Legion. <laughs> Legion, <laughs> um, and it shows like uh, a cartoon of Legion eating pulp. Uh, like, yeah, mm, I love it. <laughs> maybe the, like the little disgusting is like no one discusses this, but it actually, other than the fact that it tastes like slightly sweet, it's not great. It's like the texture's kind of muddy and and it's it's not great. But everyone like quote unquote loves it. <laughs> But it's that it's that like you eat it because it's that time yeah. of year, yes. and it's then like black eyed. You don't really complain when it goes away, which is also right. a lot like a filter fish, <laughs> um, right. where like I I don't need to eat it all all year long. I'm okay with the fact that it's just this this kind exactly. of holiday that we have that. Um, awesome. Okay, so we got a little bit of an idea of of this area. Now the region's a pretty large region, which gives us a lot of opportunity. It can have uh, all the different kinds of environments. It can have jungle or desert or or all of those things. Uh, and there may be a point later. I don't think we're going to do this today, but there may be a point later where we actually uh, sit down and collaboratively make kind of a map together. That's something that we would often do in our in our games at the table is make a map and have each person add a thing to the map. Uh, you know, this area up here is a desert, or there's some mountains down here. And then even start naming stuff and creating backstory to the world itself. So we're not going to do that today. We're going to focus a little bit more on your, on your characters uh, and the story that we are going to pursue. Uh, but that's just something for you to, to keep in mind is that the world right now is pretty open. We can do a lot with it. Um, and that means maybe I'll add a lot of stuff to it. But it also means that if you want to say, oh, my character is from the northern part of of uh you know the the kingdom of retcra and uh up in the north it's actually very hot um you have you have some opportunity to to just sort of make those decisions uh and fill in some of the blank spaces the tabula rasa that we have created of this kingdom uh awesome our next step is that we're going to dive back into character backstory so for character backstory um, we want to answer a few important questions about your characters. And uh, Kirk and Umberto, you, you actually have already answered a few of these. So I'm going to lay a few of these out uh, for Adam to answer. And you can think about the answer to these questions. Um, but you can also, uh, if you haven't answered it, then it gives you a chance to, to kind of dive in. So we'll do it with Adam. And then if you want to add any extra stuff for your characters along these lines, there's a perfect opportunity to do so. Um, Adam. Uh, we know that um, Garkus is f- a gold Gerkus. dragon. Garkus. Garkus. It's like Gherkin, but Garkus. 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 Um, we know that Garkus is a gold dragon, uh, gold dragon born, mm-hmm. uh, which is uh, interestingly different from a specific dragon. Just for people who are new to, to Dungeons and Dragons, dragon born are humanoid creatures. Uh, they have scaly skin like dragons. Their faces kind of look like dragons, but they are generally human-sized. Um, they're usually a little bit taller than humans and, and a little bit larger, more muscly. Uh, but otherwise, they are um, sort of close to human size. Um, and you said that he has a sense of superiority over others. So what I'm curious about is, uh, is he from like a, a kingdom of dragonborn? 
Is he from um, like a big place or a small place? I guess he's he's a monk, and I'm assuming he's from a small place of probably also maybe like a I don't know like a school for the gifted. Okay, but a, but maybe a small town. Yeah, with a school for the gifted kind of thing. Yeah, not like yeah, a huge think, city. Yeah, like a hamlet. Um, and he's he went to the school for the gifted. Was he born in that town? Like he he grew up in that town. Yes, he's actually pretty. Um, He's he's pretty sheltered. And then uh, is he uh, is the town a town of Dragonborn, or has he grown up largely in a place that's like surrounded by lots of different creatures? Mostly Dragonborn. There's sort of a like a it's it's like the Dragonborn have been um, sort of insulated here and sort of trained trying to harken back to like the dragon of origin mm-hmm. so everybody is like really believes very strongly about the the dragon ancestry and and that's like an inf- infused in everybody's attitude around the dragonborn heritage it's like you it's almost like a cast down everybody has a sort of um like original sin kind of thing that they've got mm-hmm. Uh, like they, they, everybody's got, everybody sort of has a little bit of that sense of superiority. Like we are the chosen, the chosen people a little bit. Of, but also of, uh, simultaneously the like, but I'm not a dragon. Mm, okay. So it's, it's like the sense of duty that is foisted upon those of us that are not full dragons. We're dragon born. So we have to like carry the mark of shame that is not being a dragon while also being a dragonborn, which is better than all these non-scaled individuals that are around in the world. So it's like this really sort of uh, fundamentally dichotomous understanding of their place in the world. Awesome. How do I'm people... making this all up. If yeah. there's, if, if anybody yeah, has any suggestions, well, like, how, how do how do people moment. see them? Like, are they are they scary? Are they like unknown? Are they part of the community but kind of separate? Like, if you came into Feather Falls, how would the people react? Um, I'm, I could let the Game Master chip in here a little bit, but I imagine that Gold Dragonborn are a little bit rare. Mm. Like Dragonborn the, in general or just Gold Dragonborn? Gold in particular. Like Dragonborn are a type of, of humanoid that is around the world. Um, they do breathe fire or other things, so they're definitely not to be messed with. Like even unarmed, they're a force to be reckoned with. And a lot of Dragonborn have, because of their dragon blood, sort of key um, connection into this sort of ancient magic. So they're kind of a mysterious force to begin with. Um, but the gold Dragonborn are, are like kind of regal. Mm-hmm. Um, so even within the, the uh, community of, of people that have a gifted school and that like see themselves maybe in between these worlds, but certainly above a lot of other creatures. Um, you were high in that cast. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you, you held a sense of, of real placement within that uh, and understanding that like, Oh, I'm a gold dragonborn. I'm, I'm a little special. Mm-hmm. Um, Absolutely. Were your parents uh, um, also in that, in that community? Did you have also a good, uh, a good relationship with your parents and not good relationship with your parents? What did that look like? I'm going to defy most of my characters and say yes my character my my character's parents were great they were actually gave me a very good um there was lots of unconditional positive regard in my childhood no orphan story here they like they worked really hard to get me accepted into this school for gifted children 
That's great. Oh, well, so just, not everybody gave is accepted a, into the school. You just gave him a dagger. <laughs> <laughs> yep. It's totally Twist true. the knife. I've, yeah. I've used it before on Adam. That's true. Um, <laughs> that is true. Uh, so they were, they were wonderful parents. Um, they were great. And it sounds like not everybody gets into the gifted school. Um, even mm-hmm. though it's a small hamlet, maybe a lot of maybe there's a not so gifted school, <laughs> and then a gifted school, or or maybe people travel away if they're not able to get into the gifted school mm-hmm. or something along those lines. And people people do travel to attend this school. Mm. They're sort of they're sort of um, a lot of people try really hard to get noticed by this school. Gotcha. But being a part of the hamlet, not a guarantee you're going to get in. Mm-hmm. Right. People um, do move here to get sort of. You know, it's who you know, right? Sure. Yeah, yeah. Is the school mostly Dragonborn, or are there yeah. like a lot of other no, like really talented people? It's 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 either Dragonborn or people with dragon blood. Oh, gotcha. Dragon ants. So, so maybe a fair amount of like sorcerers and stuff that also yeah. kind of wind up there. All right. It's like uh, you you had mentioned Adam. Your your uh, what is it called when people who are Jewish go to Israel? Uh, birthright. Yeah, it's sort of like that. Yeah, it's like a birthright thing. Um. Awesome. Uh. And then, um. Is the 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 school? It sounds like teaches a lot of different stuff. What what did you learn at the school? What did you study at the school? Um, I studied martial arts. It's about um, honing the body and the mind, and sort of um, perfecting the body because you know it is connected to dragonborn heritage, so or dragon heritage. So, um, like elevating the body and the mind to sort of transcend back to the dragon origin is is the goal here, and that's where they, I also. Through mastering the body and mind is where I, I have the ability to channel that radiant energy uh, to be able to shoot radiant bolts out of my hands. It's like a plus. Is that a, um, a singular talent of your of your character? Like most of your classmates could not have mastered something like that? Um, or is that like you took a class and, and everybody in the class had some level of proficiency with it. It was more like a rite of passage. It was like my um, – I don't know. My, my, like, my, my rite of passage to become an adult involved like meditating and connecting with the dragon spirits or whatever. Um, and then I got this mark and that mark of the dragon is what gives me this extra, extra boon. Nice. Awesome. So not a, not everybody has the same gifts. You're like a Jedi with special blood midichlorian counts. Hey, I have a lot of midichlorians, and I hate sand. It's, it's fair. It's very high, very high midichlorian count. <laughs> I hate sand. It's so rough. Um, it gets everywhere. Of course, it gets everywhere. <laughs> the Senate will never understand. Um, uh, awesome. The uh, the. Uh, kind of last question that I have for you in fleshing out your character at this stage is what, why did you leave? You had this great experience in the school and this Hamlet, but now you are an adventurer. So what, what uh, pushed you into that? I would love to know from my adventuring team, how we might have connected. Cause this might be a, a sort of a, a cataclysmic event or a catalytic event, or it could just be like, maybe it's a rite of passage. Maybe this is like the thing, like I'm a Mormon and I have to go out into the world, you know, so, so that I can come back or something. I forgot the name for that ritual, but I'm like digging deep into the, my, the, the religious traditions of not my actual life. Well, I, I mean, I don't know if it's just cause I'm primed with Birdo's story, but the artifact idea is a good what do they call it in movies when you have like a the thing that you have to get the tesseract? 
the it's a Macmillan or the McGuffin. The McDonald's. You have to get the McDonald's. And so I was thinking like something in my warehouse that I run, an artifact came through or was stolen or um, an important client had something stolen from there and has something to do with this. And I learned clues that brings me uh, east to Retcra. Because um, I think it'd be interesting if the three of us don't know each other at the beginning. Because last time, Berto and I knew each other. Right. And, uh, we kind of skipped forward. And I thought it'd be interesting if we had to actually meet. And, and like I said, my my character, although, of course, stuff could have transpired since, but they are not an adventurer normally. They used to kind of do that, but not really in decades. But then they had this, I don't know what exactly, but they had this uh, near-death experience. And they're like, oh, God, I got to go after my my passion here and stop reading about it and go try to find it. And I don't care if I die because I almost died anyways. Wait, is Yulian trans? You, you're referring to Yulian as they. You don't? I mean, you should ask they. <laughs> you should ask them. I don't know. Uh, is that what I said? I don't know. Yeah, you said uh, they. Did, did yeah, everyone yeah, else hear it? He said they. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, anyway, so my thinking is that at, at the very least, if he knew any of you, it would have been like some cat. It wasn't like you guys had adventured before or something. Uh, and he probably doesn't know you. But it would be really cool if we're all looking for something and maybe that something is related. That'd be cool. But I, yeah. I know that I've been in search of this, you know, uh, fabled artifact of incredible knowledge yeah um all right in that case so i was actually going to have you guys already know each other but i love this idea that you, you actually have not met yet will do a meet uh for your characters a starting place for your characters nice. um, so i've got something in mind for that um but in that case uh the the thing that i need to know is yeah did you need to know something from me uh, I do. So I still. So Adam, in that case, you you didn't know. You don't know these these characters. So you'll have to come up with mm -hmm. the reason why you left your your hamlet, and we also have to name your your town. Um, so uh, do you have a name for your town in mind, or should we create one together? I don't have one. Awesome, uh, Umberto. I'm going to have you start this one off. What is a, a the first letter of the name of uh, V? Yerkes's hometown. V. Uh, Adam, what's the second letter? O. Kirk. L. Um, I'm going to add a T. Uh, Berto's back to you. O. Adam. That's it. Volto. 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 Like Your Humberto. hometown, like the Volto. hamlet of Volto. <laughs> uh, and then the last thing is, why did you leave? Well, I think I was sent on a quest. Okay. I think I think I think it might be a rite of passage in my mind, but I think. Um, my my suspicions. I don't think know if this is true for Gerkas, but I think my suspicions are that these Dragonborns are a little more on the Magneto side and a little less on the Professor X side. And I think <laughs> the journey for my character is to to transition, you know, <laughs> from a little bit of a uh, a little bit from the you know League of Mutants to, to the X Men. X. Yeah. Um, in that case, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you your quest. Um, I think your quest is the school for the for the higher up graduates of the school. Um, 
when you graduate, you are actually given a quest, uh, a quest of honor to complete. And the quest of honor is to bring back an artifact for the school. Um, and an artifact can be, it doesn't have to be a thing of actual magical power. It could be a thing of, of knowledge. It could be a thing of, of interest. Um, but it's something to add to the, to the wealth and power of the school on, on, in one way or another. Um, and it is your sort of honor quest to complete. Um, and when you complete it, you're given an, a special place of honor within the school, within the town as a whole. Um, and certainly you bring a lot of honor and a lot of, um, uh, a lot of um, respect to your family as well. Um, and so you've been tasked with this, and true to maybe uh, Gierkes's nature, uh, you're not going to bring back some piddly, tiny thing that barely adds any value to the school. Um, I'm imagining that your character would want to bring back like the piece de resistance that the school will talk about for a hundred years. Uh, mm-hmm. This was the guy who brought back the our our most most cherished artifact that anybody's ever brought back something like that yeah um so you're, you're basically on a quest to look for an artifact that is worthy enough to bring back to your school and i've also never really been outside of volta so everything is like pretty cool you get a chance to really see the world <laughs> yeah which is it maybe like a part taste... of the, the point of the quest as well yeah uh, it's so, uh, there's so a lot of like interesting them. foods to eat and people to talk to and stuff too i love it um, awesome. As I was doing that for Adam's character, um, Kirk and Umberto, were there any things uh, like some of the questions that I was asking Adam's character that you want to that you know you want to add into your your character backstory, like more about the name of the town that you're from, or um, more about the reasons why you left those things? Uh, well, reason why we le- reason why I left. Yeah, it was a good well, place yeah. To, I mean, to, to get in line with the. Uh, consensus here is well I guess if I'm going to make it up I guess so he works with some very shady characters and very rich characters and sometimes people want to store things in his warehouse because he has secret you know cubby holes and he's very dependable in terms of holding on to things and a mysterious hooded figure came to his warehouse and asked him to hold on to a uh, very, very important item. And he got the, and they paid top notch for high security. And he, uh, you know, normal uh, sort of thing, not, not too, but, you know, a big customer, but not anything too out of the ordinary. Went through his usual routine, his manager, you know, he doesn't, he's not a hands-on guy per se. He has his lieutenants that he, that, that do things for him. And, they took care of it, and then in the middle of the night, it disappeared somehow. And uh, well, I guess we'll say it's a mystery. They don't, you know, no one broke in and took it. It just sort of just disappeared, and we're all freaking out because uh, there's a there's like an insurance on whenever whenever someone drops something off, and it'll completely destroy our business. Like we'll have to sell everything, and we'll all be destitute. If I can't get this artifact back Hmm. and I am sending a lot of people out that are competent to find it, but I happen to go, I'm following a clue to Retka. (laughs) Gotcha. So a lot of other people, a lot of other nieces and nephews and siblings are also fanning out doing their investigation, but I just am randomly going, well, I'll I'll take... I'll take retcon. You guys take that direction. You guys take that direction. Hmm. All right. Awesome. So you're you're really just trying to save, keep your business alive. Yeah. 
Yeah. And and okay. my pe- and all my family fed. And the people who who depend on it. And obviously. potentially all of us alive because if this hooded figure is a evil fella, maybe we're all going to be dead if we can't get this thing back. Hmm. So here's like here's my additions, I think. So I wasn't originally from Retka, but I have been living in Retka for like a decade. Um I I mostly go from place to place. Uh, so I, I've moved around quite a bit, but in the last decade I've been at Redka, uh, maybe five years. I, I don't know. So like it's been it's been many years, and the reason I usually move is just like because I hear that's really there's really great libraries or really great sources of of additional information in other places. But I don't like it's not like some quest I go on. It's literally just like okay, well I'm gonna go visit that city and see what they have in terms of books, right? And in terms of knowledge and who can who can I talk to? Well, I've been here for a while, um, and I was considering just kind of settling because, you know, the government has all these really nice programs, and they just like seem to really like encourage people to stay and to you know pay their taxes and stuff. But, but anyways, I really enjoy the celebrations and things, and uh, I was pretty comfortable just doing my research, but just recently um i was out i was coming back late from doing uh some research at the at the library and this like band of uh i don't know what i'd call it like ruffians or something but they they were coming through kind of in a hurry and they bumped into me and i'm a tall individual i'm six foot four and i'm not i'm hard to miss i'm like i have blue skin and stuff and so I just like, you know, like, hey, w- watch where you're going, you know. And they like attacked me before I could even, you know, like know what was going on. They just attacked me and they almost killed me. Like I got really lucky. I um, I like I, I managed to cast a spell and someone passing by like yelled or something. And but I, I got I got really close to uh, to death. It was a real scary situation. Um and the thing that just like struck me is as they were beating me up, I saw something like they, one of them was holding something and it looked really interesting because on the thing they were holding, like on the outside, there was a symbol and I couldn't quite place it at first, but I went back and I checked a lot of my notes and it was a symbol related to this research that I've been doing for years about this famed art or like artifact that some of our guilds used to talk about that it was apparently supposed to lead to unimaginable knowledge for the person that wielded it or, and there's not a lot of details, but it's like, it's what I've been after. Cause if I crave something is knowledge. And so as I've been recovering from this attack and all these things, I've just been like, that's it. I gotta go. I gotta find out. I gotta find out what's going on maybe it's these people but in any case i'm not going to stand in one place and just read books anymore i'm going to find this artifact all right um so normally what i would do is we would sit down and we would do the rumor system at this point and it's called the rumor system this is a a way in which adam and i have designed to create a storyline for us to follow however all of you have already sort of provided this opportunity 
for this storyline. So uh, I will just do a really brief description of what the rumor system is, uh, but I think we have our storyline already. Everybody's sort of tied by this by this artifact. Um, and I think I have a way to, to introduce some of this and then set us on that journey. Um, the way the rumor system works is that uh, everybody inputs a thing, a bad thing that is happening in a place and a reason why all of the, the player characters should care about that thing. Um, and there's an opportunity for everybody to then sort of uh, fill in that that sentence, whatever it is. There's an ogre who's attacking a town, and the mayor's offering up a great treasure reward. Uh, there are children that are going missing in this city, um, and uh, you should do it because children going missing is really bad. Whatever the case may be, everybody sort of offers in their ideas, and then uh, the players all vote on those ideas and then add more and more to, to that story um, as each other. And once you vote on an idea, everybody then sort of adds little pieces. And the great thing is, because it's a rumor, it, it's, it sort of has that truth, half-truth feel to it. So anything that the players create if they say there's a motorcycle gang that's uh, that's um uh, uh destroying the village and all the motorcycle gang members are all full dragons um that might be your rumor and it might be a wild rumor that doesn't fit well into your story but the game master can then interpret it because it's a rumor and so what what was in the rumor motorcycle gangs might turn out to be like uh cart races and it turns out they're doing they're they're racing these these carts against each other in the streets uh and that's what's sort of terrorizing people and they say it, it's full dragons because all the carts are painted to look like dragons and so you have a lot of opportunity to to uh take that with the kind of grain of salt that's the the little grain of truth that's in there and take that into a new direction in order to make it interesting for the players what this really does is it tells the game master what kind of story and what kind of mission the players want to go on um so rather than me as a game master going i've got the entirety of open of all stories ever to try to send you on, I get to have your input as players to see what kind of mission you're most interested in and what kind of mission your character might be most motivated by. And motivation means the world in Dungeons & Dragons because motivation is how you determine, how you get player buy-in, it's how you get uh, players to be invested into their characters, all of those things. Um, however, we've created this, this storyline. Um, the artifact that all of you are looking for that you have gotten hints towards in one fashion or another is called the Book of Fate. Um, the Book of Fate is a supposed rumored artifact. Nobody's, to your knowledge, you've never met anybody who's actually seen the Book of Fate. Um, the Book of Fate is, is a tome that was supposedly dropped by um, one of the fates, uh, who are these mythical creatures who help determine the, the winding path of the choices that we make and how they affect the future. Um, the supposed rumors behind the Book of Fate are that it can tell you a uh, uh, tremendous amount of knowledge about the past, about the present, and even about the future, as it dictates the many paths of fate that the future could take. Um, possession of the Book of Fate is said to in, uh, imbue you with uh, the, the knowledge of the things to come in a way that would allow you to impact them tremendously. Um, the Book of Fate has, it's like the fountain of youth. It's like the... the um, uh, artifacts of, of old, Excalibur, uh, things like that. Um, no one really, if it, if it exists in this world, no one's seen it for a long, long time. Um, Kirk, uh, your character's uh, interaction here, where you got your, your little seed of knowledge for Uncle Blaze, is that um, somebody had the key to the Book of Fate. Um, there is a, a story of the Book of Fate that it's like a, a, like a, 
a journal and it has a key, a lock on the front of the book that you cannot read or open the book unless you have obtained the key. That was the artifact that was left with you. It is who knows if it was real, who knows if it was if it was um, uh, a real thing. But the person who left it with you uh, definitely had this mysterious vibe uh, and really um, emphasized the idea that it was very important to them. Uh, the key is maybe worthless without the book. It probably does nothing at all by itself. Um, but somebody who has the key or who wants the key may actually know where the location of the Book of Fate is um, and may be going after it now. So what you're looking for is actually the key to the Book of Fate, although obviously having the Book of Fate might not be a bad thing to help out your your family or to sell it to the highest bidder. All of those are possibilities. Adam, do, does Kirk's character know that this is the Book of or know that this might be the Book of Fate? The Book of Fate has a very distinct symbol on the cover. It is the symbol of the fates. And the key has the same symbol in the sort of um, uh, end of the key, uh, has that same exact symbol of the fates in it. Um, so, I, Kirk, I don't, I don't know if your character would have a lot of knowledge of the Book of Fate, but as much as you, you would recognize the symbol as much as anybody would, because it's like a fairy tale, something people tell children. Uh, like, oh, the Book of Fate. Somebody, somebody like pulls out the Book of Fate and then, you know, the hero's journey changes because they, the Book of Fate was read or, or whatever. Yeah. I've um, seen, and I've seen many forgeries come through my warehouse. Right. <laughs> nice. um, and at the very least, this one looked, it looked old. Uh, and it was. And someone wanted it very, and wanted it very secure. It wasn't exactly. just a, a trinket. Yeah. Um, which is maybe the, the strongest indication that it might not be a, a, an actual forgery. Um, uh, I'll say, um, uh, Umberto, uh, your character, I'm going to learn everybody's characters. Ulian. Ulian uh, uh, has, has been doing a tremendous amount of research about fate. Um, the fates are, are an interesting uh, topic for research because the fates exist in the world of the gods, but the fates are, are um, not ruled by any of the worlds of the gods and are not really even necessarily gods themselves. Uh, the fates sort of exist in this strange place outside of the, the realm of the gods because even the gods themselves are, uh, have to succumb to fate and have to uh, um, deal with the future being an unknowing, unknown place. Um, and so the fates really have this sort of power that no other, no other creature, no other being really has within the universe. Um, lastly, uh, Adam, I think your character, um, uh, Yirka, um, uh, this rumor has been, would be the perfect thing. Nothing would ever top the Book of Fate. If you could bring this to... Uh, to your school, whether or not you wanted to use it yourself. Um, if you could bring this to the school, um, in the history of the world, no one would ever bring a greater prize to the to the school. You would have, your family would, would be in honor for the rest of time uh, as a result of that. Um, however, um, there is something else that's actually pulling you all together. Yes, you're all pursuing this book of fate, um, but there's actually another thing that um, is your moment of meeting together, which is that you all share an acquaintance. Uh, this acquaintance is somebody that you met in your journey, somebody that you knew well enough to know that they were maybe good and you, you liked them, uh, but not so well as to know much about their history or their backstory. And we're going to name them. Um, uh, let's see. Uh, let's do phonemes this time. Adam, give me a phoneme, uh, like a eh, ka, ba, ta. Awesome. Uh, Kirk, give me a phoneme. 
Wah. Uh, Berto, give me a phoneme. Arr. God damn it. <laughs> I, can't, I can't roll my R's? That's going to be a really tough one, <laughs> tough one for me. Um, thwar. Um, and uh, uh, I can say I always pronounce it wrong. Uh, you guys, you guys can pronounce it right for me. Um, Thwar um, was this uh, stand-up guy, um, and I'm going to have each of you describe for me a moment that your character shared with Thwar. Um, this could be a moment where Thwar saved your life, uh, or where you fought back to back with Thwar against great odds, or where you just like shared drinks and laughter uh, together. Um, How do you end up end up spelling this guy? Uh, I literally took. T h w a r. I think there's two R's on that, right? Yeah, I think there are two R's. Yeah, I think you're talking about. I mean, maybe he's the only one who can say it right. He's always correcting people, like you know, Thwar. Thwar. Well, I'm going to say that this guy knows things, and so I have gone to him for help on. You know, he's like. In Starsky and Hutch, he was uh, what was that guy's name in Starsky and Hutch? Um, Sugar Baby or a Sugar Bear, oh, Sugar Bear, like the the informant or something. Yeah, Sugar Bear, the, uh, yeah. Sugar Bear. Snoop Dogg. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, Snoop Dogg played in the reboot, yeah. right? Oh yeah, in the reboot. Yeah, um, so he's a guy that I can depend on to know rumors and know things, and yeah, in the old days. Him and I would occasionally pilfer together, but we're way beyond that. Like both of us are old, and we don't do that kind of ground level crap. I'm getting anymore. too old for this. Sure. Shit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Can we make him a halfling like me? Yeah, I love that. Why not? Uh, uh, and and uh, I I love the idea that he's he's a bit of an informant. He's got his his ear to the ground certainly. Um. Awesome. Uh, how does uh, Ulian? Ulian, no, no. Okay. So, yeah. So, this was a funny thing. So, I was sitting there in the library of, uh, Re- what is it, Ret? The town we're in? Retkra. Retkra. Oh, the city, I mean, the, the country the city of, of Retkra. The country of Retkra. I was sitting in the library, um, and I was asking the librarian a few questions. And then I went back to my book, and all of a sudden, someone comes and taps me on the shoulder. And I look, and it's this dude. And this was a few years ago. And he's like, I heard you, uh, I heard you asking about such and such. And uh, I was like, yeah. And then he turns out that he knew some, something about that. And then he recommended some books. And then he invited me over for some, uh, some, some drinks and uh, to, to talk about stuff because he apparently knows a lot. And then over the years, I just kind of kept in contact because every now and then I'll have a question and he, he, he's a good resource. And then oftentimes I'm a good resource for him too because I'm a deep diver on certain topics. And so, yeah, we sort of develop an academic relationship. Awesome. I love it. So he, this, this uh, uh, Thwar guy, uh, seems, he seems very knowledgeable. Um, he definitely seems like a like a helpful guy to to know. Uh, certainly, um, Adam. How about uh, um, uh, Gerkus? How does he know? Gerkus actually was has done a lot of traveling and, and wants to 
you know, meet new people wherever he goes. So he tends to go to, uh, you know, social gathering places. And one of the places he went to had an open mic night. And Thwar was there um, sharing some poetry. That's pretty good. Awesome. <laughs> um, did the two of you connect in that in that open mic night? Like, did you end up talking talking with each other? That kind of thing? yeah. Gerkus is not a performer. Let me just say that right now. Um, that that is not Gerkus's. Um, but but Gerkus does like to uh, talk to people. So he was um, enjoying the 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 poetry that that. Thwar was sharing. Um, and then they struck up a conversation, um, became fast friends. Awesome. Gerkus's genuine enthusiasm about, about um, the world was uh, inspiring, th- too. Th- Thwar, Thwar was, is certainly an a, um, uh, appreciator of enthusiasm about the world. Mm-hmm. Um, you're all meeting for the first time at Thwar's funeral. Oh, you, uh, you, you see what wow. I did? There. <laughs> I, saw that. I, I, I saw that coming. Brutal. I knew. I, I, know, I know this trick. <laughs> I, I wanted to make him a sweet man just so we could enjoy his funeral even more. It's, it's that much worse. <laughs> um, uh, you're all at his funeral. It actually so happens to be the case um, that uh, the funeral is in uh, um, Retcra, and so um, it was uh, uh, an unfortunate, but but a convenient opportunity for for each of you to, to sort of go there. It wasn't that far away from where any of you were happened to be anyway. Um, is, sorry, you were invited this, to the funeral. Well, well, I was seeking him out for information about the key anyway. So, and then um, I found out he was dead, and I went to the funeral. Uh, you were also you were given a specific invitation. Um, uh, somebody tracked you down, uh, like a mail carrier, basically, uh, tracked you down and said, uh, you know, this has been uh, following you around and uh, this is for you. And it has your name. Uh, it specifically calls you out to attend this funeral and that apparently you were you were named in his will uh, oh. for a specific item. Yeah. OK, and, and quick question. Are we in a city like the capital of Red Craw or did we figure this out? Good question. We actually don't that's, know. I want to live city in the city. That yeah, I want to live in a city. Um, so I think I think the country of Retcraw, especially because it's got these airships, is pretty wealthy and has quite a lot of large cities. Um, but uh, I like the idea that there's a capital city, which is where it's sort of defined by this is where the Senate meets, which is why it's and, sort of the capital city. And this is probably where I moved to because that, they probably would have had the largest libraries there. In the, um, the, the, you are not the only one to be appreciative of, of knowledge. Certainly a Senate of wizards uh, would also be very, very appreciative of knowledge. So I'm imagining that the capital city also has the largest library in Red Crow. Um uh, let's name the city then. Uh, Kirk, why don't you give me the first letter? R. Uh, Berto. I. Adam. N. Uh, I'm going to say G. Um, let's go backwards. Uh, Adam. O. <laughs> Berto. <laughs> Uh, D. Um, Kirk. I. Ringotti. Uh, Ringotti. Ringotti. The city of Ringotti. Ringo die. Ringo die. It's 
very Ringo anti-Beatles. Um, I Ringo think Ringotti. Die. <laughs> the city of Ringotti, um, which is where this, this funeral is taking place, basically just outside the city, actually. Um, the, uh, you were all named in this, in this letter um, to go. What's really unusual about this is that some of you haven't seen uh, Thwar in maybe years. Um, it's been a long time, and you've had a relationship with him, but not in such a such a way that you you like have stayed in very very close contact. It seems unusual for him to to gift you something in in his will, certainly, um, uh, but it it also maybe not for for uh, Kirk, maybe not for Uncle Blaze, uh, but for for the other two characters, like you didn't know him that well. Uh, you're not like long friends from childhood or anything like that. So it seems a little unusual to be invited to his funeral. Um, however, when you go to his funeral, you can tell that there are actually not a lot of people here. Um, there are the three of you, and then there are, are about five other people who have showed up who are, who are dressed in dark clothing uh, and uh, who are sort of keeping to themselves. They don't really say much to each other. They don't say much to to what's going on. And there's sort of a, not a, a, a um, priest, but there's just a, a, well, he's a lawyer, really. Uh, he seems to be the one who's sort of leading the funeral. Um, and it's both the funeral and the bequeathing all in one. Um, it's a it's a strange experience that that you're having as you're literally standing over um, the the casket of your friend uh, that is being lowered into the ground, and this priest is sort of saying a few words about about Thwar, and then also apparently going to read right then and there uh, and hand off whatever items it is that that he has given to people. Um, as he's standing there and he's reading these words, and he's pretty dry, um, and he's saying, um, Thor would have wanted everybody to know that he has left uh, all of his wealth and riches to a nearby orphanage. Um, all of the things that he has acquired over time, uh, he uh, believes should be go back to those who deserve it to have it the most, except for a few specific items. Um, and then uh, he reads off only two items. Um, the first one is a map, and the map is given to all three of you. Um, and he hands the map. Uh, he says, this item is for the three of you, uh, uh, Ulian, uh, Gierkas, and and he actually uses your full name, uh, Uncle Blaze. Blazonar Dardragon. Blazonar Dardragon. Uh, are you here? Here, present. Yes. Um, here, uh, present. He he motions and he he hands you this sort of folded up old piece of paper, um, and then he says, "And to his daughter, I leave only my signet ring." Um, and you can see there is a woman who is here uh, who who just seems in tears, but she's she's um, older. She is a halfling, um, but she is definitely um, an adult. Um, and she walks up and she's, she's in tears, but she's very quiet. Um, and she collects the signet ring. Um, and then you, you watch as, as the lawyer sort of, uh, taps the side of the, of the coffin and the coffin slowly lowers into the ground. Um, and the, the lawyer stands there in silence for some time. Uh, and I'm going to have everybody roll me perception checks. The very first roll with your new characters. So, Bertie, you can actually, oh, yeah, well, if you want to, but. Wait, wait, wait. You can also just, like, press the thing in the, in the. But I have a new dice roller. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I got an eight. Okay. 
I got a I got 19. A 19 as well. Um, Maybe it awesome. happened above my head. <laughs> Um, what, what you notice, I mean, maybe you're, you're looking down into the, into the pit that your friend is being lo- lowered into, please. Um, but Ulian and Girkas, the two of you notice that the four other people who are at this funeral who have, didn't receive anything, uh, seem to be taking up some very tactical positions around you and around, um, Thwar's daughter, um, okay. who I'm going to name, uh, Lily. Um, and... Uh, and you notice that they're wearing very dark robes, but a few of them are definitely pulling something out of their robes as they're sort of surrounding around you. Okay. <laughs> we don't need to roll any sort of insight for this. I'm assuming pulling dark things out of dark robes it, it is looks dangerous. bad news. They haven't said anything, um, and they weren't named in the, in the reading, uh, and there's not a lot of other people here, um, and they look suspicious for sure. Can I try to? I'm not that intimidating, but I'm also a dragonborn who's pretty cool. Can I um, like make eye contact with one of them, and then I, I picture Gerkas holding up his fist and like charging up this sunbolt thing that he's got. Like, like it's an it's an intimidation tactic. I want to like have a glowing fist and tell and like indicate that this is not the time for them to be doing this. Uh, yeah, yeah. Go ahead and roll me an intimidation check. Um. And you can use your strength for this, I think. Ooh, cool, because my intimidation is terrible. <laughs> um, okay. Clearly a, strength, a strength-based intimidation. Um, I got a 15 on my intimidation. Okay. Um, you watch as, as he uh, – he's clearly, like, focused. He's got his eyes kind of focused down, and he's clearly focused on his task at hand. Um, and you can see he is, in fact, pulling a dagger from his, from his cloak. And he sees you, and then his eyes go a little bit wide. And you watch his like sweat builds a little on his brow, and then his eyes sort of uh, uh, drift to the side, just next to you. Um, and you're going to use that as an indication that somebody is attacking you from the side. Uh, mm-hmm. That's like your your cue that like uh, he's he's clearly looking at somebody else to take you out. But he pulls out his dagger and he's going to hold it to Lily's throat uh, as he sort of leaps behind her. Um, and he just turns and, and he says, "Give us the ring and the and the map, and there will be no other problems." And I think that's where okay. we're going to end. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa. Um, so with that, we've we've got uh, a lot more backstory. We've got a lot more stuff in our world, and a and a little bit of a starting place for our characters to to start off at. Um, but my uh, question for you this time, rather than doing a spotlight for everybody, uh, which we could totally do, but I'm actually going to change it up a little bit for our, our game this time. And my question for you is, what is a thing you're, you're really looking forward to for next time? I'll go first. Um, so, I mean, I was sitting here while you were describing what's happening. I'm looking at my spells and I'm like, okay, what can I do? And it really is so different. Um, obviously you guys are way more used to this, because even in a video game, like it does, you know, like you have the buttons and so sure I got to be like, okay, which button? But then there's like a little menu and whatever. The point is right now I'm like, oh my gosh, uh, maybe I could, uh, I could levitate something or oh, no, no, I could, I could read their thoughts. Oh, okay. And it was, it's really exciting. And at the same time, a little overwhelming. So I'm really mm-hmm. excited to see. And, and also I was trying to figure out because my, my character is not, uh, they're not particularly, particularly empathetic to emotions 
like they are very much like facts and knowledge and if if you have a friendship with me it's because we share knowledge and stuff so i was like <clears throat> you know thinking like he's not going to care that someone's crying uh he may not care someone's holding a dagger like he's not like evil or anything but he's like well, I don't know. I don't have a relationship with this person. So like right now, but th th these things were going through my head. So I'm really excited to see. Plus then I was like freaking out about what is my voice? I thought about my voice, but I haven't like practiced it. So what am I going to say? Uh, so I'm excited. <laughs> awesome. I'm excited to see how in the hell our three characters are going to get along <laughs> because I can't imagine we're all like, we all chose non-good, goody-good characters. Yeah. And, and there's not one good character to kind of bring us together. And so... Three's company. <laughs> I'm, I'm curious as to how we are going to manage to stay in character and also metagame a little bit to help us move along the story. I do picture Indeed. that every single one of us would have wanted to be the one to grab the map. Like, not a single one of us. Yeah. Like, hey, like everybody all reached second, out right? at the same we, time. We all are, like... We all have that, that need to <laughs> be the there's, one. Because there's only one map. Is that the mm -hmm. deal? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah we, we may actually need to resolve next time who actually was the one who... Everybody's sort of tugging on it. Who, who's the one who's actually holding it right now? I think it's Gerkes as the tallest, strongest one. Person. So we can, we can press that next yep. um, I, uh, I'm looking... So Shush, the last character I played, was very much a support character. And um, in, in combat specifically, and we're about to get into a combat, and I'm like, Gerkes just gets to punch things. So it gets to take on a little more of that Grolo, uh, like, tank energy. So I'm looking forward to Gerkes being able to punch things and shoot uh, beams of sunlight out of his hands um, like a full-on X-Men. Nice. Awesome. I love it. Actually, um, Kirk, you raised a, a really great uh, point um, one of the things that, that Adam and I will sometimes coach players uh, at our table with is your character's motivation may sometimes come at odds with staying together with the rest of the group or working together with these people in the group. And one of the really interesting things for you to do is that um, good characters aren't characters that always follow whatever it is that their character's doctrine is. Um, so the really good characters are the ones that are faced with difficult choices and then choose something else even though it's against their character and then have to – you have to figure out as a, as a person who's creating that character why they made that choice. And so th this is a great opportunity and you guys will, will have more of this chance when we play our next game uh, to jump in and be like, well, I know my character is going to stick around with these people, but I have to decide why. And that might be at odds with like the actual motivation of, of my character. My character or might be... you got to get not, creative or something. Right, exactly. Uh, I, might, I might need to come up with a really creative reason as to why my character wants to stick around. Um, and that, that actually just makes for, if you can do that well, that makes for an even more fun character. The really, really good um, loner characters that are in the back and in the dark and want to stay by themselves, the ones that are done really well, like um, Aragorn from, from Lord of the Rings, are done really well because they still want to be with the rest of the group. Um, so even though he's a loner who's, who's smoking by himself in the, in the darkness of the back of the pub, um, he's still like reaches out and tries to to help the hobbits and keeps trying to be a part of the group even though he's he's also kind of the loner and he's by himself and he's got a mysterious background and that's what makes him a good character is that even though he's the loner he doesn't go off alone 
he still wants to stay with the group and stay stay to be a part of something. Uh, he is struggling with the idea and and uh, identification of being a loner while at the same time wanting to belong. Yeah, yeah cool. cool. Awesome. Uh, well, do you guys have any questions about uh, any of the process that we went through today, anything like that? Well, for those listening, I, I know that Adam and Adam will do this sometimes where they will coach people on how to do use different kind of voices, you know, in, in character – like I, I'm actually gonna do Don Corleone. And make you offer you can't refuse. You know. Um, so, but there are all these different ways that Adam Davis has th- these different sliders, if you will. Like you can have you can have really fast voices, or you can have really slow voices, or you can have really high voices, or really low voices, or you can have really intense voices, or you know. There's all these different types of parameters you can put on a on a good voice it's particularly important for dms because dms have to make a you know often make a unique voice for all the npcs but for pcs as well last time when i played i just chose not to do any voice because i'm embarrassed but i feel like this time i have enough self-confidence to to do a voice uh so that's another element that we could have fleshed out a little bit in terms of defining you know if you're if you're running a game for a group of kids you might want to go around and teach how to do different voices and have them choose that because it is a bit of a stretch socially for some kids to step out of their shell and to adopt an improv other voice Um, but it really exemplifies when you're speaking in character and when you're not you know it's a very helpful tool and uh, parameter to use when you're Playing Dungeons and Dragons, it, people it also often ha- think that they have to do accents as voices, and there's a lot you can do with your voice that's not a full accent. So, especially if you have some sensitivities to the culture that you're trying to replicate, you might not want to do accents because, like, I, there's a lot of accents that I wouldn't feel comfortable doing for a myriad of reasons, <laughs> um, and that's okay too. Um, and even my like, if I want to do a French accent, which I probably wouldn't be offending anybody if I did a bad fr- French accent. The other important thing to remember is that there's no France in our world. So, like, Adam in our last campaign had like a Boston accent, but there's no Boston, so there's no. Bostonite who's going to say that's not how it sounds because people in Pihiha can sound like whatever they want to. <laughs> so there's a nice like little bit of liberty there too. We can talk more about voices next time too. I haven't come up with a voice for Gerkus yet either. Um, I'm imagining he's going to be a dragonborn, so I imagine it's going to be a little bit lower than my voice. <laughs> One of the sort of important things to keep in mind, especially for the people who are listening who might be uh, game masters or dungeon masters themselves, is the dungeon master being willing to talk in a bunch of different voices and, and be silly uh, really plays a really significant role in encouraging the players to do the same. Uh, one of the things that we see a lot for our players is many, many players who are who are nervous, who don't want to want to do a voice for their character, and um, over time, as I'm t- doing more and more sort of sort of ridiculous voices for for many characters, they get a chance to see both how fun that is, as well as how much that can play a role in me defining a character. Um, Adam Adam actually does even a lot of body stuff to define the the characters that he's playing. He'll hunch over and he'll squinch up his eyes and and uh, uh, make faces, and that's that's a part of him, uh, taking on that character every. Time that character comes out, he will always always lean over and make that same face. 
Um, and those are all great ways to encourage that embodiment or encourage the voice embodiment of of the character. And one of the things that I have certainly found is true for myself over the years is that the voice that I give to a character often defines who the character is, sometimes more than whatever choices I make. Um, so when I have a character that is that uh, takes on, you know, a, a Eastern European accent or something, and and da, this this is great time. You will have awesome time. Um, that character always kinds of wind, kind of winds up being the same kind of character um, because that is for some reason an association yeah. I've created over the years of of doing that voice with this kind of character that it, that it winds up being, um, and uh, and so you may find. Sorry, uh, I, I was I was muted. I was muted. Sorry. <laughs> Go ahead, continue. It was a, so I said a dumb joke and my mic was muted and thank God because. I swear <laughs> I will imagine how funny that was. Yeah, <laughs> I'm laughing. It was such a good joke. It. <laughs> <laughs> it was a. It was a in Russia something that it was one of those. Oh jokes. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> in, in, in Russia, their voice defines you. you. Yeah. I, it is interesting that that our the name of our kingdom does have like a little bit of a Slavic sort of chytka. Well, actually, I, further interesting is that these uh, um, Vidalkin creatures come from this place, Rav, Ravnik, Ravnika, which is essentially, as described, is like Eastern European-ish. Hmm. So, so may, maybe this is actually pretty similar to, to your character's homeland? Maybe the, the culture yeah, here is Yeah, maybe that's why I was comfortable moving there. Hmm. I, li- I like that idea a lot. Well, one thing I will say is uh, I love starting new campaigns because with all of these new characters, there's so much, so much opportunity to... To deepen everything, there's there's so many unanswered questions, and my favorite place to be in any D and D game is the unanswered questions, uh, because then all we get to do is just fill in all the all the pieces and all the blanks. Great. All right, well that does it for that episode, John. Right, John's right. Yeah, I think so. All right, everyone, tune in next time when we actually can t- start the campaign, see if our characters like each other, and explore the world that Adam Johns is going to create for us. I can't wait. There's going to be there's so many different ways I could see this going wrong and mm-hmm. not a lot of ways I can see it going right. So I'm curious to see how it's going to go right. Everyone out there, please take care of yourself and get the key to knowledge because you deserve it. Mm-hmm.